0: On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about home renovations and why the cost of doing them or even building your house or putting on a deck or whatever, why the cost has gone through the roof this year. We're talking about schools and an idea that seems to be sweeping across a lot of provinces, which is to cancel, to end, to shut down school boards. Is this a good idea? And if you want to rent a cottage this summer, yeah, sorry, too late. Well, maybe not, but we're going to talk about the cottage rental industry. If you're hearing me now and you're hoping to rent a cottage, listen and then get on the computer because that's all the time you've got. Enjoy.
1: Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. You have
0: probably, if you are a normal person, you've probably spent a great deal of time in your home over the past year. And because of that, now that you're in there all the time, you've probably noticed a few things you'd like to fix up or update or add or, you know, things you would like to do to fix the place up, assuming you're an owner. Well, here's the thing, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but if you think you're going to do some renos this spring or summer, you may want to brace yourself because prices for product have gone through the roof. There is so much demand that, first of all, contractors can't even keep up. Uh, So we start there. Supply and demand, you know how that whole thing works. If all of a sudden there's enormous demand for their services, they charge more. That's how that works. But it's not just that. It's the, as I say, the product that is needed. Many projects, maybe most, I don't know, many projects anyway require wood, lumber. The price of wood has exploded. According to Statistics Canada, softwood lumber prices are up 116 percent this year compared to last year other places say it's closer to 170 170 170 in other words roughly prices for wood have gone from about 11 dollars a square foot to 35 dollars per square foot that will affect your budget ian dunn is the president of the ontario forest industries association he joins us now ian thanks for doing this today very much appreciate it
2: yeah thanks for having me
0: uh, the obvious thing with this that I think a lot of people in this country are going to be sort of scratching their heads at is we're going to say, well, there are not many countries in the world that have as much forest and supply of wood as Canada does. We have wood coming out our eyeballs. How come we are now seeing price of wood go so high up?
2: Uh, that's a, that's a great question. So I'll, I'll talk about the price first, and then maybe I'll talk about uh, what you just mentioned in terms of of the supply. So. Um, What we saw last year was, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen with the pandemic. Uh, Our members, you know, we had the 2008 subprime mortgage crisis very much in the back of our minds. Our industry was hit really hard. And as a result, uh, our members scaled back production. Uh, We also scaled back production in the mills because of uh, new and increased health and safety measures. So physical distancing at the mill required you know, less people working, which meant we had less of a of a lumber supply at the end of the day. So that, that left a bit of a supply gap that we continue to find ourselves in today. On the demand side, you mentioned it, renovations, home buying in general is is really strong and actually better than we would normally expect under normal situation. So uh low supply, low inventory, high demand really driving these prices. And you mentioned, yeah, we we live in a in a country with uh, abundant forest resources, and, in Ontario, where I can speak speak to you, you know, we harvest about less. Well, we harvest less than half of what's actually allocated to us uh, sustainably through our forest management planning. So uh, there is there is an ability to meet that demand, but it's going to take time.
0: So is most of this then, was most of this cautionary in the financial sense because of what you say we experienced before, or was most of the impact on this then the rules that were put in for health and safety that you couldn't have as many people working in the mills, and so they, even if they wanted to, they couldn't produce as much?
2: Yeah, I think it's a bit of, of both. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of uncertainty. We didn't know what the market was going to do. Um, and I think across manufacturing, and we're seeing it in other building materials as well, uh, there was a number of supply chain issues as well, and, and getting the product to the market was was a challenge. So it's, I would say it's a mix of of both of those those factors combined. Uh, but uh, it is a commodity, and commodities respond like you say to to supply and demand and this may be um sort of parsing this too much
0: but is there really a shortage of supply right now or are we seeing a are we calling it a shortage only because there are some reports that there's as much as 40 percent more demand for it like in a normal time would we be seeing a shortage or is it just because so many people want wood now that we're saying it's a shortage
2: absolutely it's i would say it's more on the demand side uh like you said you know people are working from home now uh, they're, they're looking at their fence at their, their back window and thinking, oh, now would be a great time to, to update that or replace that uh, additions on, on people's homes. And we're also seeing a bit of a de- demographic shift as well. Like people, people are moving out of the urban areas, and uh, they want to get a bigger single-family detached home in the suburbs. And uh, you know, developers know this, and that's, that's the kind of homes that they're, they're building. And uh, those are the types of homes that use a lot of lumber uh, in in their construction. So absolutely, I would say demand is really the driving force behind this.
0: Do you think the average person would notice this, though, if you go to Home Depot? And honestly, I, I apologize. I don't even know if the Home Depots are open right now with the lockdown here in Ontario we're in. But if you did, if you go to a place like Home Depot and you're a home handyman, are you going to notice a shortage or are we talking more about the wholesale level where you're a builder that it's going to be harder to get?
2: Yeah, I haven't been to home Depot recently either so I, I'm not sure if you know, there, there's actually uh, Dubai force uh, sitting there on the rack or not. but um, what I can speak to is kind of yeah at the higher level at the wholesale level, um <clears throat> there is a there is uh, supply gap. but uh, like like you're saying there, I think it's it's definitely more on the demand side. And there's, there's another, I think, element to this as well. You know, people, consumers are realizing that forest products in general are a good thing for society. They contribute to a sustainable bioeconomy. This is ultimately a plant. Um, it's low carbon and uh, renewable, truly renewable. So I, I think there is, you know, there's a, a number of compounding factors here. Uh, and demand in general, I think, is really, really driving the price spike that we're
1: seeing now. You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Understanding the demand Ian, that is out there for wood and understanding that, you know, again, there's a, I think it was 40% I read of uh, increase in home rental projects and things like that people are doing. Can the industry ramp up quickly? Is it, is it pliable and nimble enough to say, man, we see how much interest there is. We can just crank this thing up and produce the amount everybody wants.
2: Yeah, so I I think there's two two elements there. So uh, in the mills, uh, they can respond uh, a little faster. So uh, you know, in in terms of uh, installing new equipment, uh, onboarding new employees, there is a nimbleness there and an ability to uh, to respond to demand. But it will take time. Uh, The other element, however, is uh, you know what what can our forests actually produce and supply to the mills and that takes a little bit longer so uh, I think I mentioned that we actually harvest less than half of what's sustainably available to us through force management planning here in Ontario and uh, there's an initiative underway and we're, we're working uh, hard on, on this to actually access the full amount of uh, 30 million cubic meters so that the ability for you know government policy, yeah, forest management planning direction to change in order to meet that increased demand, that takes a little longer. Uh, but that that is something that we're working on. And uh, I think the bottom line here is uh, ultimately the sustainability of our forest is not up for sale. And mm. just because yeah, I know there's this new and increased demand for lumber doesn't mean, you know, it's the wild west out there and we can cut whatever <laughs> timber we want. There is a you know, very strict and rigorous forest management planning system here and
0: Australia. with good reason with good reason although yep. as i say the numbers that that i've read and you can correct me if i'm saying something here that doesn't make sense mm-hmm. to you but the numbers that i've read for the average decent sized house the increase in the price of wood right now has okay. added about thirty five thousand dollars to the cost of a build of a new home that i mean that that is an enormous that's an enormous extra ticket when you're already
2: paying a lot to build a new house it is, and uh, it's also just one one of a multitude of materials right. that go into to uh, building a house. Uh, copper wiring, uh, plumbing, and steel have also experienced uh, large increases. So yeah, the cumulative impact uh, and the bottom line for for people and, and consumers is is significant. Um, but I think rest assured that uh, these our facilities are going to be ramping up production and there will be an easing of prices over time and you know this is a cyclical industry Uh, we're at a high right now but uh, at these prices i mean you're going to see facilities producing as much as they can
0: could you see though a a real negative here in that you know there are other options i mean most houses are still framed with wood but you can build a steel framed house or you can find other ways to do it could you see the wood Industry losing some of its business and builders looking for other ways to do this because of prices.
2: Oh not not really. I mean, I, like I said, uh, you're seeing price gains in other building materials as well. But uh, I, for wood, I, I actually see the opposite happening. There's this new and increased demand, particularly in uh, medium and, and tall uh, buildings, particularly here in Ontario and in, in Toronto in particular uh, for mass timber structures. There's, there's a real renaissance of, of building with wood. And uh, I, I can see the, the, the demand, uh, you know, just, just as strong uh, into the future, going into the future. Um, <clears throat> there are building, other building materials, like you said, but they don't have the same sustain, sustainability story that we have. And that ultimately I think are, are likely just as expensive.
0: What about, and again, I mean, obviously framing is different from a deck or from a floor you're going to put in your house where it's more of a, an aesthetic thing. Can you see a big push here to faux wood to, to, you know, you can go and already buy the fake stuff. Can you see that being a much more appealing option now?
2: Uh, well, if, if for some of those products, uh, you know, the decorative stuff, we're not, we're not seeing those big price gains. There, there's certainly um, increases, uh, but we're seeing that across supply chains and, and different materials as well. So, yeah, like the decorative panels, the cabinetry, the, the flooring, um, while there have been price gains, there, there haven't been nearly as volatile as uh, the, the dimensional structural SDF lumber that we would use in framing or decking. And uh, it's true the opposite way as well. So they they don't go down as dramatically as Mm. SDF tends to do over a cycle.
0: Very quickly, because we only have a few seconds here, but you said a moment ago that you think that this will return to its normal level. And I wondered about that because we've seen with other companies and other products that, you know, if for some reason the price has to go way up and then people get used to paying that kind of price, and now it kind of can go down a little bit slower because people get used to paying that, and boy, the margins are pretty good, so let's not lower these prices quite so quickly. Could you see wood staying here, or do you think it will go back to normal prices as soon as it needs to?
2: Yeah, it's a uh, really good question, Scott. So I, I can see it easing, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of capacity. There's a lot of mills out right there across North America that are capable of producing a lot of lumber, and uh, as we see you know inventories increase, uh, again, this is a commodity, I can I can certainly see the, the price coming down. And we've been here before as well. Like I said, the subprime uh, mortgage crisis, <clears throat> there were quite quite uh, quite strong pricing for lumber at the time. And then the, the, the recession hit and uh, prices collapsed, and we saw mills uh, lost across the landscape. So, I think uh, consumers can can look forward to an easing of prices over time. Well, means be patient, I guess, if you want to put up that
0: new fence, or be prepared to pay. Well, uh, one way or the other. Ian Dunn, president of the Ontario Forest Industries Association, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. Thanks so much.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Within
0: the last little while, and I had not, somehow I had missed this completely, and it was only recently that I was it was brought to my attention. Within the last little while, Quebec, Prince Edward Island, Nova Scotia, they've gotten rid of school boards, mostly. And now Manitoba has a bill working through its system that could see the same thing happen. School boards, local school boards that we have had forever, elected school boards, I guess, um, gone or changed or dramatically altered. So with other provinces doing it, it seems like a fair question to ask. Is this a good idea? Should Ontario consider doing the same thing? Well, there's only one person who I would turn to to ask this question. He is Canada's leading expert in the world of education. He's the director of the Schoolhouse Institute. His name is Paul Bennett, who joins us now. Paul, thanks for doing this tonight. Great to be with you, Scott. Before we get to the part about whether it's a good idea or a bad idea or something in between, can you explain, uh, I'll just give a little of the details here. Are we talking about these places, these provinces, eliminating school boards as far as the administration or school boards as far as the elected trustees or all of it?
3: Today, as we speak, six of the 10 provinces of Canada have either eliminated elected school boards or neutered them and turned them into advisory bodies or replaced them completely with appointed provincial advisory councils on education. In other words, elected school boards with trustees, as is the case in Ontario, are essentially an endangered species everywhere but in three or four
0: provinces. And, and would that also then mean the, administ- the you know the administrators, the folks that work as bureaucrats, basically, are they also then gone and replaced by these central advisors?
3: Not at all. They have risen to the top, and the entire school system has um, devolved into basically a system that's dominated by superintendents who essentially get promoted to district superintendents or directors district directors and report only to the minister of
0: education. Okay. So the the idea then sounds like what a lot of these places are doing are centralizing everything within the province. And then I guess if I'm following the logic, everybody in the province, all the boards, all the schools, everybody gets treated the same.
3: Well, it all starts with a review by an external consultant and in the case of two of the three of the two of the provinces that i have um, have or are eliminating school boards it's dr avis glaze formerly with the ontario ministry of education from york region who's now an international consultant based in vancouver just outside vancouver and dr avis glaze produced two reports one in nova scotia where she recommended in January of 2018 that all elected English school boards be abolished. That was carried out. She also was appointed to chair in 2019 a study of uh, school governance and administration in Manitoba. The result of that was a recommendation that all English language school boards, elected school boards, be eliminated in Manitoba. So in two cases, it was the same consultant. Um, We have a longer track record, though. You go back to 1996 with Frank McKenna, who eliminated school boards with two weeks' notice, replacing them with nothing. And then six years later, they appoint district education councils, which were hollowed out, which only had advisory powers. In the case of Prince Edward Island, uh, there was a series of battles between 2006 and 2012, Resulting in the complete elimination of all school boards in Prince Edward Island, replaced by a triumvirate consisting of the um, minister, of, the deputy minister of education, and two appointees. That didn't work, so they completely eliminated that, and they are the only province that is restoring school boards um, as of this coming September. Newfoundland's a different situation; they completely el- eliminated all elected regional boards, and decided to have one 16-member elected body representing the entire province but they are not elected local representatives at all they are rep- representatives on a, a provincial body which is a super board of education
0: okay so each of these is going to look at this slightly differently but generally what is seen as the advantage of this as opposed to the local boards what what do you what what is gained by doing this rather than having all the local school boards
3: One after another, I regret to say, elected school boards have done themselves out of business. There were a series of reports issued, starting in uh, 2013, which showed just how far school boards had strayed, elected school boards had strayed from their mandates. Um, I'll give you just the first one. The first in the line was called School Boards Matter, commissioned by the Canadian School Boards Association in 2013, It basically said that um, school boards, uh, uh, districts had had gotten too large. It warned school board members that there was a blurring of responsibilities and roles uh, between the superintendents and elected members, and that they saw signs of an erosion of authority. A subsequent report written by the same authors was much more explicit. It said that centralization of school administration and increasing domination by administration threatened the very existence of school boards, and that if they weren't
0: careful, they would be a sinking ship.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Paul, just before the break, you were talking about centralization. That is a word that I know causes some to blanch, and I don't just mean people on the boards. There are teachers, there are teachers' unions, there are parents. Centralization is a four-letter word And yet, isn't that exactly, isn't centralization exactly what's been happening for the last number of years in Ontario with standardized exams and EQAO tests and and curricula that everyone has to follow? Haven't we essentially centralized anyway without just actually centralizing?
3: Yes, indeed. In fact, the most identified cause of the decline of elected local school boards is centralization with more and more decisions being made by the province, with the loss of taxing powers by the boards, with a tendency to view the boards as nuisances or obstacles to carrying out provincial initiatives. So, yes, that is a key factor. I go back to an article written by T.R. Williams back in 2003, where he said that school board districts had gotten so large that it was virtually impossible for a part-time trustee to provide adequate representation and that that was the source of the problem. So as schools, school districts got larger, uh, there are 72 boards in Ontario now, um, that became a factor not so much in the cities. Um, acclimation disease sets in, which means no one wants to run for the positions Mm. And that's the advanced stage of the death of democracy for an elected body.
0: Well, and I'm glad you bring that up, because this is the funny thing, I think, funny not ha-ha, but funny, ironic— is that we will have people, if the province of Ontario ever moved to strike school boards, people would lose their minds and say, you're removing democracy. And yet I bet you that if you polled people as they went into a polling station to cast their vote during a municipal election, who are you excited to vote for as a school board trustee? Most people would look at you with a blank stare and not have any idea who the people are that are running. Indeed. Indeed. Let's just take you back, and I want to take your listeners back
3: to Hamilton in October of 2014, when a group of trustee candidates ran under the banner of the first 100 days. They were opposed to school closures, Parkdale and a few of the others. They were campaigning for more accountability, and uh, they were trying to ensure that there was some consolidation of efforts around a certain number of policy objectives. And people said, oh, well, we don't want to have an organized group going into the school board. Here's what was going on. The report came out that school boards were in trouble from the Canadian School Boards Association. Steve Pakin, who's a Hamiltonian with TVO's The Agenda, yep. put up a post that said, overlook school trustees at your peril. Articles appeared It's all in your hands. And they became very, very much aware of the lack of participation in school board elections. I went back and I looked at Raise the Hammer uh, articles written in 2014, and I was very much a part of that movement because I was fascinated by what they were doing. And what the uh, Christine Bingham, who's now a board member, uh, what she wrote was the invisible part of a municipal election. And she wrote that... uh, Trustees are invisible. There's no attention to us, and so on and so forth. So I, I'll ask your listeners: Has much changed from, 19, from 2014 to the present? Are those are those elected trustees still invisible representatives? Uh, some would say more so.
0: Well, I, I think the argument might be right now because we've had some controversy and some reports and other things going on about racism and other things. They probably are more well known now. Than they ever would be for what their politics are or their positions on education, uh, you, you know. And, and that kind of goes to the point. I, I, if you vote for someone, if you have someone in office, you would at least like to think you have some idea what that person stands for. And again, I would bet you and bet you or anyone else an awful lot of money that if you said trustee X, trustee Y, trustee Z, what do, what are they? What are they all about? We would have no idea. We would have no idea.
3: No, there's a fundamental problem and You know what that's called? It's called role identity confusion. There's a report on that, too. In uh, 2016, uh, the Nova Scotia School Boards Association, before it was eliminated, hired David McKinnon to examine what was wrong and why they were in trouble. And he came back with a report which has now been taken down. It said, you suffer from role identity confusion. You say you're responsible for the school system, but you defer too much to your superintendents. In Mm. fact, you hide behind them, and you are insisting that you're members of a corporate board, and so you don't have any identities of your own. So you do suffer from a role-identity confusion, and it's simply this. Who are you representing? Are you representing yourself and your community on that board, or are you representing the board in the community and carrying
0: back the messages. It's a great point. We only have a few seconds, but, you know, listening to you, Paul, one of the things that strikes me is it sounds like we either need to abolish school boards, as some provinces have done, because they've already been so centralized that they seem superfluous, or go much the other way and say, we're going to give much more autonomy to these school boards so that they can more reflect the community they're in. But where they are right now, I'm not sure what the purpose of them in a lot of ways is
3: i recommend school-based governance school community councils and building from the bottom up strengthening the democratic uh, participation at the school level uh, phasing out the elected regional boards and bringing them back when a new cohort of people who come from the schools are prepared to serve on regional bodies we'd be further ahead and i believe the democratic process would be strengthened throughout all of Ontario, and uh, so would the school system.
0: More autonomy.
3: More autonomy at the school level with Hmm. meaningful participation, school governance, delegate, decentralize more to the schools, and build a new cohort of elected members out of a cohort from the schools. And you'd have people representing on the regional basis the individual schools and they would know who they're accountable to.
0: Uh, Paul Bennett, uh, you cannot find someone who knows more about education and has more good opinions on education anywhere. If you want to find out more about him, his uh, company is Schoolhouse Institute. You can look up his website. There's tons of good stuff on his website there. Paul, we always love having you. Thanks for taking time today.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: I have what could be... Some bad news I, there's no way around this one it could be great but it could be bad news for you if you were thinking you know what uh it's almost May nice weather is about to be here you know I I, re- I really got to get on that renting a cottage for the summer that's where the bad news side of this is because uh from the sounds of it if that is you and you're saying I gotta start thinking about that right now that ship has sailed you are going to be disappointed that you are so late this year by the sounds of things everything i'm reading everything i'm hearing the demand for cottages this year for rentals is absolutely incredible we've all been locked in our homes for the whole winter and we are now just champing at the bit to get out there and to be on the water or on the dock or having a bonfire at night and making your s'mores whatever it is cottages the demand through the roof heather bears the ceo of Cottage Link Rental Management, she joins us now. Heather, thank you for doing this, today. I appreciate it.
4: Oh, it's a pleasure.
0: Is my what is what I have read and my reading of the market correct? Things are a little nuts right now.
4: Uh, crazy, yes, it is um, uh, unprecedented. We have we 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 saw it last summer. Uh, this year, we're seeing it almost twice over.
0: S- seriously, because last summer was crazy.
4: Last summer was crazy when everything opened up on June the fifth. Uh, the phone never stopped ringing. At one point, we had a thousand people on a waiting list, and <laughs> we just, um, and we are just one agency among many, and among many independent property owners. And everybody was saying the same last year. You know, this this was unprecedented. Roll on twenty twenty one when it, things will go back to normal, and. <laughs> And, in fact, a lot of people missed out last summer, so they they booked early. They booked in September, and they're good to go. But then the normal traffic started to come through in December and January, and by by the end of really mid-January, we were 100% booked for July and August.
0: Unbelievable. I mean, it's, it sounds very similar. We've had someone on, we've had a real estate agent on some months ago uh, from Cottage Country, but it sounds similar to the real estate world up there now that you just can't keep anything in stock.
4: Uh, we can't, but uh, you know, th- there is good news. It, it is not all bad, bad news because you mentioned the real, real estate market. A lot of properties ha- have been changing hands. And these new owners, because they paid so much for their new acquisitions, uh, they want to rent them out. So this is the time of year when all these closings are happening. April and May Mm. um, is is the time when people are closing on their properties and they will start putting them out for rental. So, so you know, it's not it's not the end of the world. There are still properties out there. You just got to be really, really quick to jump on them. I had not,
0: yeah, I had not thought at all about what you just said about all those buyers that are now, they've paid through the teeth probably way more than anything has ever Mm -hmm. been before. That makes a ton of sense. And I also have to believe that there are long-term cottage owners right now who are looking at this rental market and thinking, how can I not jump in here and make a few thousand bucks this summer for the weeks that I'm not going to be using the cottage? I mean, I can clean it afterwards, but my goodness, if I can get five grand out of this summer, Mm -hmm. why would I not do that?
4: Uh, yes, absolutely, and you know that there is there is no doubt. Prices on cottage rentals have risen enormously too. You know, it's it's economics 101. There's supply and demand. There is not a lot of supply. There is a massive amount of demand, so rates have gone up. So whereas you might expect in previous years to to pay maybe 15 to 1,500 to uh, 2,000 a week for a relatively modest property for, for, for six six to eight people you're now going to be paying up, upwards of two and a half to three thousand a week
0: yeah and I've, I've seen on social media I've seen people writing sounding somewhat happy they got a place but also rueful I think that they've realized um, that they've paid or are paying or are about to pay way more than anything they would have ever considered paying in the past but that's what you have to do now
4: um, I think so. You know that the, there are thousands and thousands of, of cottages out there, and they're renting with agencies. They're being independently rented on some of the major listing platforms, and it's the, 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 there are competitive rates. And I, I don't like to see the gouging, and there's a lot of gouging going on. Um, I, I mean, my advice is to go to the agencies because we we we, we tend to be fair let's say mm.
0: i my family my extended family we rent a cottage every year up in the quarters for a week and i have to think we rented we were one of those people you talked about i think it was back october or november and i have to believe the guy we rented from right now is wishing we never had that he could use that week and charge double what we're going to be paying because i think we got in under the wire which who um but yeah i i can't believe there are not people who right now are just saying hey you know what i've got a couple of weeks open and as I say, I can I can make a fortune off this one. Mm-hmm. There there are, even as I'm saying this, is it fair to say that there just are no deals right now? You're going to pay what you're going to pay. There's no way, there's no sense shopping for a deal because those don't exist.
4: Uh, I haven't seen deals for, for quite a few months now.
0: Has there? You say this is unprecedented. There's never been a year like this under any circumstance that you can recall where, for whatever reason, and I mean, we've obviously never had COVID, we've never had a pandemic, at least in our lifetime, but nothing else has led to this kind of drive or demand before?
4: Uh, not in my experience, and uh, you know, I've, I've been running this company for nearly 20 years, mm. and it's last year was, was the first time we were hit with it, and this year is much the same. Having said that, you know, July and August are always the high demand months. So if you think just outside of that, there's nothing, you know, it's it really nice to go to cottage country in June and September as well.
1: Uh,
0: yeah, so, I mean, look, it's a great fallback position for sure. If, if that's if you really want to get up there, you got to do what you have to do. What areas in, I mean, there's lots of cottage country Communities, we'll call them, in Ontario. Mm-hmm. What what areas are the hottest? Uh,
4: do you know that there is no no area that is is rising above the others because the, the the supply is so short that whenever a property comes up, and we listed one on the French River um, two days ago, so that is a good four hour drive from Toronto, and yeah. it was booked within hours.
0: How far north, I mean, it, it would seem that north is the direction, I mean, the further north you go, people will go east, people will go up Georgian Bay area, people will go down to Lake Erie area, but north is the, the the way that it's always at least been perceived that it would get cheaper the further north you would go. I don't know if that's true, but how far north do you have to even go now to be finding something?
4: I, I think if, you, if, you, if you're wanting to find something that's perhaps a little bit more reasonably priced, then... then expect to drive four or five hours
0: (laughs) yeah it is it is um it it is crazy right now and now what happens if and heaven forbid and there's no evidence that this is going to happen right now but if there was to be another lockdown
4: Mm -hmm.
0: do you think based on what happened last year based on this demand do you think people would pay attention to that or would they just go and still rent the cottages that they had reserved and said forget it i don't care what you're saying anymore i'm going to that cottage
4: well in my experience the the owners uh, and the agencies in particular have abided by uh, the provincial lockdowns um so in this particular instance at the moment i mean we, we we've been pretty much locked down since since christmas i think it was a two or three week period that we we were able to open up for rentals um, so you, you'd find that all the agencies are are not going to uh continue with bookings if there is a provincial mandate and very specifically shuts down cottages now as far as ind- individual owners are concerned that's that's another thing i've I've seen some comments on Facebook groups where owners are saying you know i'm i'm not they can't afford it anymore they just can't afford to lose this income because they will mm. lose that property. And that's where it becomes really, really difficult because majority of these, these second home owners um, can only afford their properties if they rent them. So it could create, if there was another lockdown, it could create a, an interesting situation.
0: We had last hour on the show, we were talking to someone about, um, and it's a different topic, but there's some similarities there about the the building products, wood, especially in the province and in the country right now, the price has gone through the roof for a Mm -hmm. variety of issues. And one of the things I asked him, and I'm going to ask you the same about cottages, was that once prices go way, way up, you can say, well, when things return to normal, those prices will go back down. They'll find their level again. But at the same time, once people have been conditioned or shown they're okay to pay that kind of price, mm-hmm. people may be reluctant to say, "Hey, if I can get $3,000 a week for my cottage, why am I then going to rent it for 1,500?" Can you see the possibility that these prices become the norm?
4: Interesting question because I've been I've been talking to new owners recently and saying to them, "I don't I don't believe that these levels of Rental rates are sustainable because once this, I mean, can I say goes back to normal, once once we begin, let's say once we begin to travel again, a lot of those people who have been forced to stay in the country and staycation, they're going to want to travel abroad again. They're going to want to go down south. They're going to want to go to Europe, Mexico, wherever they go. And there will be that that change in Um, supply and demand
1: Mm.
4: and because so many new owners have been putting their properties on the market we haven't really seen what the level of supply is uh, in relation to normal demand so that's something that's going to happen I think in a couple of years time when that demand has gone back to normal but we have a much greater supply of properties and these are people who are going to be desperate to rent because they paid so much for them in the first place so I, I don't believe that these rates are sustainable, but I know other, others will disagree, but I'm I'm a little skeptical that we'd be able to keep those rates, the, the rates that high.
0: Well, it's a great point you just raised uh, that, that may actually argue for the reverse of what I suggested because of what you said several minutes ago, all these buyers who have spent a fortune mm-hmm. to buy a cottage with built into their mortgage payments that we will have renters and if there is not the demand, then they may become desperate for renters, and we may see potentially, I guess, p- prices go down.
4: I, I think that will be, it, it will get more competitive um, as, as we get through this. Maybe not in 2022, because we're already seeing demand for 2022. People want to you know, put their money down on something for next year right now, and they're paying the prices that are set at the moment Wow. Um, but maybe as we get into 23, it'll, um, it will it will level out a little bit.
0: we got a couple more minutes, and I want to ask you this. We know, and it's an unfortunate part of human nature, but we know that um, when demand surges, when circumstances arise, that you have people who are now desperate for something. Uh, there are people, hopefully not many, but there are people who will take advantage. How and not in a good way, by the way, how do you know if you're renting a cottage, how do you know that you're not getting ripped off? Because you can't go up there most of the time and check it out. You're doing it online or you're doing it from a picture or from a phone call. How do you know you're getting what you're getting?
4: Well, mostly if, if you're renting from the, from the big platform, say um, VRBO Canada or um, Airbnb, go for the ones that have plenty of reviews and go through those reviews and in in general, that they are are genuine. I would say 99.9% of the time, those reviews are genuine. And if there's plenty of reviews and if it's a a super host, then you can be fairly confident, (laughs) very confident that that place is as it says it should be. Um, The same with renting through a rental agency. You know, we're all, all agencies have to be registered with the Travel Industry Council of Ontario. So we are, um, you can be guaranteed that the property you're renting through an agency has been inspected and it is what it what we say it is. But if you're going onto a Facebook group and somebody's offering you something on a Facebook group and they're asking for that um, they're asking for money to be wired, that that is the biggest trigger. I think you know just never ever ever wire money for a cottage rental um ask questions call the owner if if it's somebody on a facebook group and they're saying I oh, you know I'm just listing my cottage it's the first time and and there are a lot of these around um get in touch with that owner and ask questions that probably only that person would would know the answers to um about the property about the location you know do do the research but the only thing is is that you've got very little time to do that because if something comes up there's going to be a gazillion other people wanting to get hold of it um, yeah. So they, I mean, it
0: sounds a lot like right now with, again, with the real estate market. I mean, we, we've we talked to people before who say these days, if you're going to buy a house because of the way things are, you can't get a home inspection done or something. And mm-hmm. so you, you, people may end up doing things. They normally, their, their smarter self would say, no, don't do that. Yeah. But you do it anyway.
4: Yeah. I'm, I mean, I, I would caution against renting anything that where are off, somebody from Kijiji, perhaps, or on a Facebook group. Um, the best thing to do is is to go to all the different agencies and ask to get on their waiting lists, because then you're going to get um, notification the moment something new comes up, um, the moment a new listing, or, or cancellations. And people are canceling because either out of fear or they just decide they don't want to go anymore. Um, so, so there's a lot of these vacancies out there, and if you're on an agency waiting list, then as soon as that vacancy comes up, then you'll get an email to say it's there, and you just got to act on it really, really quickly. So it's all a matter of doing the research with the different entities that you are think that that, that may offer you something, um, and that that's the best advice I could give is just don't part with money. Just because somebody on a Facebook group says I'm listing my cottage, wire me something and and it's yours. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, if people are interested in trying to find something. Heather's website, the Cottage Rental Management, chm, no, so that's, I'm looking at my own, clrm.ca is the website. I was looking at chml, my own website for the radio station. That's that's It's been one of those days. Uh, CR, clrm.ca, I'll get it right eventually. And although I must say, Heather, I've clicked onto your, under Cottage Rentals, all cottage availability, and on the screen, any dark blue space is not available. I must say, this is a... Um, this looks like someone has taken a paintbrush and just splattered blue paint everywhere. <laughs> as you I, say. Know, I know. It I is know. tough.
4: We, we listed a new property two days ago, and it had full availability for the summer, and it is... it It's blue now.
0: <laughs> well, good for business. Good for you. Um, if you're interested in finding a cottage, uh, act fast or else plan to... Enjoy part of Porta Porta Backyarda for the rest of the summer, as they say. Uh, Heather Bear from Cottage Link Rental Management. Once again, CLRM.ca. If you want to go look up her website and see what is available, Heather, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this.
4: Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you.
0: It is. Uh, it is. You know, if you, if you are someone who has kind of left it thinking these are normal days. Again, not to be the bearer of bad news because there is nothing, well, not for everybody. I mean, not everyone's into cottages, but there's nothing better in the summer than being able to get up to a lake, turning the phone off, going out on the lake, going fishing, just sitting on the dock, sitting on the dock in the middle of the work week when you don't have to work and it's a sunny day and you have a cool beverage in your hand and you're sitting on a Muskoka chair and the sound of the water lapping against the shore and you can hear a loon in the back. There is nothing better than that. There isn't. So hopefully you can find something if you're into that. But as I say, if if you're listening now and it's something that's been on your to-do list, I might clear the rest of the evening and get on it because uh, there's not much left. Sorry.
1: The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The
0: Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode and also be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.